and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where two complete crazy heads decide to binge history documentaries and Wikipedia articles and then turn around and tell each other what we have just learned. You have tuned in live. This is Teresa and that is Angie. Are they live? I mean, they're not like this is a recorded <laughs> podcast. I shouldn't have said that. So you're live wherever you're at listening to it. <laughs> and we're live right now giving it to you. Right. Wherever you are, there <laughs> Whenever you are. Whenever you are, here we are. And you can, so you can go back and you can listen to my dogs bark again in the background, or you could fast forward past it. It's all up to you. Live your life. Or don't. Actually Whatever. do live your life. Honestly, please don't opt out. Not on our account. Yep. Please don't opt out. Like it, sh- she means don't by like, if you're debating on whether or not you should go out in the world and socialize or be stay on your couch and eat ice cream and binge all of Bridgerton, you should probably do that. I mean, do do the latter, do the it's, latter. That's that's a, yeah, that that's a good way to opt out. But if yeah, you that's... need a hotline, email us. We'll give you a couple to call. Angie's covering her face in shame. And on that note, <laughs> what have you been up to, Angie? Well, my power was out today, so I was really questioning whether or not we were going to get to record because uh, if the power's out, there's no Wi-Fi. You can go to a coffee shop. We can record live from a Starbucks parking lot. I Okay, it's funny that you say that because I thought about that, and then I thought about the chaos that would be the sound in the background. Yeah, that is very true. And was like, if I don't tell her the We've power We've got a mocha out, cappuccino for... <laughs> Your Highness? Your... Your your highness. <laughs> Did I ever tell you the shit that story? Hit me. Okay, so I was working at Starbucks and this person, like I'm cleaning out the frappuccino machine and those things get gross. So yeah, I worked at Starbucks too. Yeah. Yeah. And um woman comes up and she orders a drink, caramel macchiato. And the we had our district manager in the back. So, you know, definitely write your names on the cups. And the person at the register says, Well, what do I what's the name? Shithed. How do I spell it? As it sounds. So she writes shit and realizes she's just written shithead on the cup. <laughs> Looks at the cup, puts it on the bar. Gorgo <laughs> Justin picks up the cup, looks at it, makes the caramel macchiato, and she goes, I've, and says, I've got a caramel macchiato for uh, at the bar. <laughs> district manager that pops their head out amazing justin come back here why did you not call the customer's name out because you don't know what was written on the cup <laughs> sir you're gonna want to go and see the cup yeah um and you're gonna ask yeah yeah oh, because God. they wrote shithead on the cup bath come back here <laughs> what was written on the cup uh the, the name was shithead and i was told to spell it as it sounds so I did. And now I realize that I'm an idiot. <laughs> so I think we've gotten played. And I think he made a great, a great choice. Um, one of my fa- my coworkers' favorite names to choose whenever given an option is Phil McCracken. In hopes that somebody oh else my. will yell Phil McCracken. And I'm like, why are you the way you are? <laughs> why? But then I laugh every time he does it because I am also 12 years old. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's up that's up there with bend over. Mm. 
Or Mike Hunt. Or as my youngest loves to do to me, under, under. And then I say, underwear. Underwear. (laughs) (laughs) And he gets me every freaking time. Right? Yeah. Kids, man. Booger. Good thing he's cute. So my light is changing. Whoa, that's exciting. I, ooh, very mm. mood lighting. It suddenly brightens ambience. up and darkens. Oh, yeah, the ambiance is to die for today. And mm. I was going to say, do you want to go first? Do I go first? Who went first in episode 32? Oh, it was just you. It was me. And here's the thing. Okay, I got to tell you this. Um, I want you to go first, but I am so excited to... <laughs> to find out what your story is because this might be the first time we share the same story no there's no way there's no way we're sharing the same story really Uh, why do you think we're sharing the same story i i I don't want to give it away yet (laughs) If, if you don't think we're sharing the same story do you know the story of hetty lamar Is she the um sales lady? No. Okay, go. I'm gonna say no then. Okay. So, so no, th- we don't have the same story. Oh, thank God. What? No, Ian thought this one would be the most perfect story to be the same story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go. Uh, you want right. to go first? Do you want to go first? I'll go first. I mean, I've already okay. blown blown my cover. That's true, Hedy Lamar. Okay. I'm here for it. All right. Um. So my sources. First off. I wrote a blog post on Hedy Lamar when I was at Orange Nebula and just absolutely love her. And do you know anything about her? Because that's why I'm like, you, you've got to know who she is. So the is. name sounds familiar, but I'm not like things aren't clicking into place. I, so I'm okay. Wait till All you right. get further and then maybe I'll scream at you. <laughs> All right. My sources do not include the blog post I wrote, which theoretically I could do if I were an academic. Um, but my sources are a documentary the bombshell Hedy Lamar or bombshell, the Hedy Lamar story. And then womenshistory.org has a feature on her as well. Womenshistory.org. Yep. Um, the documentary starts off with a bomb ass quote in which the quote is any girl can look glamorous. All she has to do is stand still and look stupid. <laughs> That's how the documentary starts. I mean, in theory, she's not wrong. Can you hear my neighbor mowing his lawn? No. Okay. But you also didn't witness that my water bottle has a squishy suck top. That's and amazing. it had immediately gone underneath my knee. And I also have my knee with my wrapped with my eye brace. <laughs> and so I just felt my knee suddenly get wet. And I thought, oh, no. What it- has happened? The, the icy knee brace has ruptured, ruptured again because one of the times a couple months ago, I took my pen, I was doing embroidery and my needle and I, I was like, oh, I need to put a new like thread in there and I need to get a new thread. So I like, oh, I need to park this somewhere. I'm going to just put this in the knee brace, not thinking that it is filled with water. <laughs> and it's like, as soon as I did, I was like, you stupid bitch. Because so it you is... sprung a leak like a 1980s air bed, waterbed then, huh? Exactly. That is exactly what happened. And so I felt my knee get wet just now. And I went, did I just put a needle in there somehow? Like, like I, and then I had to look at it, like, no, it's the water bottle. 
It's fine. It's fine. I'm just, I'm just a train wreck. It's fine. Anyhow, Hedy Lamar. Um, so Snow White is modeled after her. Okay. She inspired a Catwoman, and she has one of the most recognizable faces of all time. But often she said she wasn't seen for who she was. Mm, that sounds right. Okay. So, Hedy Lamar, let's zoom back to 1914. She's originally born Hedwig Eva Kessler, born in Vienna, Austria. She's born into a well-to-do Jewish family. She's an only child, and she receives a great deal of attention from her father, who's a bank director and curious man who inspires her to look at the world with open eyes. Okay. Auspicious start. I like it. I'm here for it. He would take her on long walks and discuss the inner workings of different machines, like a printing press or streetcars. And these conversations guided Lamar and her thinking to the point where at only five years old, she takes apart a music box just to see how it works. Yes. Like Get this it, is little age mama. five, right? Yes. Okay. Her mother is a concert pianist and introduced her to the arts placing her in ballet and piano lessons at a young age. Five years old. Right. <laughs> so she's just killing Can't have it. you taken apart my Victrola. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, think about this. 1914. So she's going to come of age during a very inauspicious time in Austria. Okay. Okay. Lamar's brilliant mind is ignored and her beauty took center stage when she was discovered by Max Reinhardt at age 16. She studied acting with Reinhardt in Berlin and was in her first small film by 1930. In a German film called Get Auf Strap, which is money on the street. However, it wasn't until 1932 that Lamar gained a name recognition as an actress in her role in the controversial film Ecstasy. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, your response is great because uh, that role she portrays a female orgasm on scene (gasps) and this is like 32 1932 you silly females did not do that in the 30s females didn't have orgasms till the 80s exactly i don't know that's a new thing i don't know what you're talking about jeez hitler denounces and bounds the film of course (laughs) just forbids it from being played in germany um because the actress is Jewish. That that's the reason. That's the sole reason. No. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, look. This is tack it up to one more reason we hate Hitler. When in doubt, hate Hitler. <laughs> that's our title. <laughs> I mean, when in doubt, capitalism is a previous episode title, so this would check. Um Yeah. Okay, so fast forward, right? There's an Austrian munitions dealer, dealer, Franz Mandel, who becomes Lamar's adoring fan, and he sees her in a play, Sissy. Lamar and Mandel marry in 1933, but this is short-lived. She said, quote, The play, Sissy, was it um, on on The Empress? You know, great, great question. I don't know. It would make sense that it was. I'm curious it, now. Okay. It's, it would be, you know, like that would that would all make sense. Um, 
she said, I knew very soon that I could never be an actress while I was his wife. He was an absolute monarch in his marriage. I was like a doll. I was like a thing, some object of art, which had to be guarded and imprisoned, having no mind, no life of its own. She was incredibly unhappy and forced to play host and smile on demand amongst Mendel's friends and scandalous business partners, some of whom were associated with the Nazi party. And Mussolini is said to have dined in her home. Hmm. That is how close to the center she was. Remind you, she is Jewish and denounced by Hitler by name. Right, because she's okay. Jewish. Yeah. Like, we won't play that film with this actress because she is Jewish. So th- th- this is a bit uncomfortable. And she's having fun. Yeah, during sex. <gasps> I know. Um, so she escapes Mandel's grasp in 1937, fleeing to London. And I will say that the Netflix documentary did a brilliant job of like really retelling this part of the story in the story she has a maid and she hires this maid because this maid looks similar to her okay she drugs the maid well drugs the maid's tea uh and then when the maid falls asleep lamar puts on a maid uniform and her own jacket and in her jacket she has sewn all of her jewelry into it again she's married to a very wealthy man and she gets on her bicycle and flees okay like she is trying to look as inconspicuous as possible right but she's wearing her own jacket well yeah she's wearing she's wearing just a jacket you know with with strangely tons of jewelry sewn into the thing and a maid uniform okay so this is another you know kind of doors pain deal yeah 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 I was Doris Payne and Nancy Wake because I could see Nancy Wake doing the same thing if she needed to. I mean, yes. <laughs> so while in London, L- Lamar's luck takes a turn when she's introduced to Louis B. Mayer of the MGM Studios. He offers her $150 a month, which is $3,200 today. Okay. She turns him down. She walks she's out. She's worth more. Mama's worth more. I mean, she walks out, but then she regrets it because she yeah. is basically destitute. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And so at that point, she buys a ticket to America on the same liner that Mare is on and intentionally makes sure that he sees her. Okay. And then one night in her little modest room, she puts on the only couture dress that she has left some of the few remaining jewels that she has. And she goes to dinner. Like, so she goes dressed to the nines. All eyes are on her. And Mare at that point realizes he has to have her. And he offers her $500 a month, which is $10,896.75 a month. That's doable. Yeah. That's, That's a bit more than what she had originally been offered. Yeah. So with this meeting, she secures her ticket to Hollywood, where she is mystif- where she mystifies American audiences with her grace, beauty, and accent. In Hollywood, Lamar was introduced to a variety of quirky real-life characters such as businessman and pilot Howard Hughes. <laughs> How much you know about the Howard Hughes? 
um enough to giggle but i know he was quite eccentric and had the spruce goose boom okay so you're with me lamar dates howard and most notably is interested in his desire for innovation uh her scientific mind has been bottled up by hollywood but hughes helps her fuel her innovation by giving her equipment like a small set that she can use in her trailer on set and while the inventing table set up like, at her like a radio set is that what you're like unclear but she has like a bunch of things that she can tool around with when she's at the studio gotcha, and yeah. then she's got a full setup at home is she the wi-fi lady yes <gasps> oh okay okay that's all i remember i'm so okay. excited <laughs> so you you cut to the chase real real quick sorry i'm sorry no, you're good no i mean i'm not gonna shut you down because she's the reason we have the ability to do this podcast truly yeah she is okay so she's she sets all this up and he takes her to his airplane factories and she's inspired to innovate as hughes is looking at this because he wants to create faster planes right like he we're gearing up for World War II, and Hughes wants to make a ton of money by selling fast planes. Right. Okay. And she looks at his planes. She goes, she buys a book on fish and a book on birds. And she starts okay. looking at the fastest fish, the fastest birds. And then okay. she looks at his planes. She looks back at the fish, looks back at the birds. So then she sketches a new design for the wings of his planes. And upon showing the design to Hughes, Lamar says, or he says to Lamar, you're a genius. Because okay. she's looking at like the, the fish's wings or the fish's fins do this. The fastest bird's fins do this or bird's right, wings. Right, right. And why don't we just add that to your plane? And he right. changes it. She's like, boom, done. Now Got the it. planes are fat. Just purely from her studying animals. So Lamar's indeed a genius. And as the gears of her innovative mind can continue to turn, she once said that improving things comes naturally to me. She goes on to create an upgraded stoplight and a tablet that dissolves in water to make soda that's very similar to Coca-Cola. Okay. And on okay, so during the time. Like a lot of beverage, like during World War II rations or anything like that. So she's like, I still want a fizzy drink. I still want a fizzy soda. I can put this tablet in there. So Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> but imagine Alka-Seltzer that tasted like Pepsi. Yeah, like good Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> yeah, like something you would actually drink, not when you feel like absolute garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her only problem with that is that she didn't realize at the time that everybody's water was a little bit different. San Diego water is a little bit different than LA water is a little bit different than right, right, right. Jamestown. Like, you know what I mean? It's all different. And yeah. so as a result, the, the tablets dissolve slightly differently, like different densities. So it doesn't quite right. work. And so she's like, ah, dang it. You know, but she, you know, at the time it made sense to her. And then when she realized the, you know, how it, how it manifests, she's like, well, that didn't quite pan out. Um, however, her most significant invention, which we've already talked about, was engineered as the United States gears up for World War II. Lamar in 1940 meets a dude named George Anthiel at a dinner party. And Anthiel is another quirky yet clever force that is just to be reckoned with. 
mostly people know him for his writing and his film scores and how he experiments with musical compositions. He shares the same inventive spirit as Lamar. And they talk about him and Lamar talk about a ton of different topics and different ways that they could help with the looming war. And Anthea recalls that Hetty said she was, she didn't feel comfortable sitting there in Hollywood making lots of money when there were things that were so dismal. Right. I mean, she was married to like one of the biggest munition dealers of the Axis powers. So she had every right to really kind of hate her position in this war with what she knows, particularly when, when your ex-husband is a, a piece of crap. <laughs> I have honestly, I say that. And I think very few people would look at their ex-husband and say, he's a decent man, you know, but she had every right to say this dude is scum. Yeah. So the two of them start really working on how, ha- how they can combat the Axis powers. And they come up with an extraordinary new communication system with the hope of guiding to p- torpedoes to their targets in war. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the what what we have, okay, and I, I don't want to blow it, but so the system that they designed uses frequency hopping in quotation marks. Um, so having the ability to, to intercept radio waves and things like that gives you the ability to understand either what's happening or to manipulate them. Right. Right. But the thing was, if we keep changing the frequency that we're on from, you know, a, a, almost a perceivably random rate, then your competitors can't jump in and change it. They can't jam your signals. Yeah, they can't intercept you. Exactly. And so she's like, what if we did that for torpedoes? Okay. And then you can take your torpedo and do what you need to do with it, kind of radio control it without messing up and getting it taken over and hijacked. So with this, both the transmitter and receiver would be hopping to new frequencies together, which prevented the interception of radio waves and allows the torpedo to find the intended target. I like this. It sounds fascinating, right? And they ended up using, of all things, player pianos to come up with this technology because a player piano has that big coil with a bunch of those, you know, little oh, slat. Yeah. Where you like, you put your, your change in and then it plays for automatically for you. Yeah. And it has that, okay. that big, like, have you ever seen the spools inside them? Yeah. 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 yeah okay. So they all have the different cutouts and the cutouts indicate what keys go at what time. So that same ability would give them the opportunity to switch frequencies at those different rates. Right. Okay. So it was just kind of this, you got that off a player piano? Like, it's just fascinating to know what their inspiration was and how they got there, right? Like, I that's feel the just... same way about fax machines. That is true. <laughs> it's so dumb, but it's like, oh, magic. <laughs> I mean, I don't disagree with you. Like, at this point, I'm thinking fax machines, ancient. But it's like, you know what? Can I create a fax machine from scratch? No, I can't. So it's it's fairly advanced. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I think the same thing every time I watch a fax go through, like, oh, we're still doing this. Yeah. I don't know how, but we're still doing it. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's witchcraft to me, but I can, you know. Yeah. Works for me. Right. So after the creation, Lamar and Anthel sought a patent and military support for the invention. 
and the they they did it under like there's a creator council or some like innovation I, I should have written it down it was in the documentary um and it was basically like if you are a smart inventor come join us and we will create things for the war and the war effort okay. and you will end up signing your patent over to the military but but if the military uses it there's an understanding that they'll pay you for the patent okay so in theory, you get nothing, but in actuality, you know, historically, it's a good deal for something. everyone. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's that. And after its creation, they end up getting U.S. patent number 2,297,387 on August oh. of 1992. 92? 42. Thank you. For 1942. Thank you. I can't read numbers <laughs> out loud. I just can't. Like... My brain sees the number. My brain says to the tongue, say that number. My tongue goes, I'm going to do what I uh, want to do. Actually, I'm going to the 90s. That was a great decade. You know, honestly, <laughs> I hear what you said. I understood the assignment, <laughs> but I'm going to do my own thing. Peace. <laughs> and that's what I do every single episode. And you have to correct me to the tune of hundreds of years or at least decades. <laughs> There was one where it was like several hundred years. Yeah. And it's just like, what? Huh. And my brain just goes, yeah, this is what we're going with. You know what, though? You you did the same thing to me with when with Cassius Clay, when I was like, Cassius Clay. And you're like, he's that old. I mean, but to be (laughs) fair, you said the right number. And I went, I think she doesn't mean what she says. I think she (laughs) She did a Teresa. She doesn't know what she's talking about. You know what? I'm going to jump in and I'm going to retell her story better than what she's doing and i haven't researched it i tried to mansplain the the og cash clay to you is what i tried to do <laughs> and i loved every second of it especially cool. the look on your face when you went oh, oh that's not him wow <laughs> okay well i'm gonna sit down and shut up hurry on then <laughs> okay so back to the patent that was delivered in 42 the navy decided against implementing the new system and the rejection leads Lamar to support the war effort with her celebrity by selling war bonds instead. Hey, whatever works. She sells like $2 million in war bonds. Nice. She's not even a U.S. citizen. Hey, you know what? Whatever works. Honestly, she's just a badass. So she is. she ends up struggling with her career. Because all this is happening. Hollywood's being Hollywood. And part of it is she has been pigeonholed by her a breakthrough role in ecstasy, you know, in the orgasm bit. And part of it is that MGM has really just decided not to give her roles that would help her break out. Um, in the documentary, her children are interviewed quite extensively, and they talk about how the studio doctor ends up giving her medication that wakes her up and helps her sleep. And in hindsight, she's being given methamphetamines to keep her awake. Well, that's nice. And we all know that methamphetamines have zero side effects. Yeah, no, she's yeah. perfectly healthy. She's fine. Yep. And that's this all puts... her teeth. So she keeps most of her teeth. I mean, I I don't see any any mention of them them coming out. Um, but this puts considerable strain on her relationship with husbands, plural, and children. Okay. As you would expect, like at one point, one of her children is talking about just being in the kitchen with her 
and her losing her mind and just throwing a pan against the wall and saying, you should have prevented that from happening kind of deal. Like just absolute bonkers. And it's just like, well, I mean, you know, boof. But that's what drugs will do. Real quick. Yep. So meanwhile, Lamar's patent on the frequency hopping expires before she ever sees a penny of it. Um, And then she she continues to accumulate like credits, like film, like film career kind of deals until like 1958. And her innovative genius was yet to be recognized by the public. And it wasn't until her later years that she receives any awards for her inventions. The electronic. Yeah. You know, honestly, like, yeah. Bummer deal. But the Electronic Frontier Foundation jointly awards Lamar and Anthiel with their Pioneer Award in 1997. And by that point, Lamar, because she is an aging starlet in Hollywood that doesn't value older women, she doesn't think that her contributions are worth anything because she's not as beautiful as she views that she should be. I hate that for her. And so she ends up becoming largely a recluse her grandchildren talk about receiving autographed headshots from her thinking that that's what they want, not like a grandma to make cookies with. Everybody wants a grandma to make cookies with. That is very true. So Lamar's son ends up receiving the award on her behalf and delivering a speech for her. Okay. Um, She becomes the first woman to receive the innovation conventions Bulby Mass Spirit of Achievement Award, although she dies in two. Th- I mean, that's such a, such a mouthful of an award, right? I really wanted to ask you to say it again, but I won't make you. <laughs> I probably pronounced it 50 ways wrong, right? Like, let's, you don't <laughs> even want to see how it's it written is. out. It's just like, an award. Have I had multiple shots of whiskey prior to, to recording this? Yes, yes, I have. It's today has been a week, right? Like, the entire mm-hmm. day has been a whole week i got you babe yep so she does all this and she dies in in 2000 she's inducted into the national achievement or wrong line she's inducted into the national inventors hall of fame for the development of frequency hopping technology in 2014 and okay this dubs her the mother of wi-fi and other yeah, i mean honestly like that is how we get all of these great things and it's because of her we have gps and bluetooth without mm-hmm. that technology those would be impossible that a girl get it right and it's because like well all of the other starlets were going out on the town and living it up she's back in her trailer inventing things because she just didn't want to be out she was just a recluse like us <laughs> I love her. Honestly. <laughs> but just just the quote, any girl can look glamorous. All she has to do is stand still and look stupid. It does get you. Yeah. And I mean, just jaw-droppingly gorgeous. Is she um I'm picturing I'm picturing uh she's got like shorter kind of bobbish hair in the picture, or maybe it's tucked under but she's wearing you know, like a black dress with uh polka dots or hearts on it let me, i'm thinking that that might not be her 
Okay. Okay. That is exactly who I was thinking. It is oh, not yeah. a black dress. Okay. Well, I mean, but there's there's so many so many photos of her being absolutely glamorous. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Okay. So she's got this didium, uh, like a star on her forehead, but then she she is also like encased in the shiny. That is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I don't even know how to describe it. She, sorry, listeners at home. <laughs> Just shinies and they're sparklies and they go around her face and she, and she has these beautiful. eyebrows that are like she's got the it, 90s rail pencil thin eyebrows like Selena would be proud right yeah. but this is clearly 1940s 1950s yeah that dress cut looks late 1940s early 1950s yeah like sure. Hollywood starlet from the starlet era Oh, she is stunning. And then, like, I, I didn't realize that that is who Snow White was modeled after. But as soon as I heard that, I was like, yeah, you know, honestly, yep, that's Snow White. Yeah, it really is. It's super checks. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that is the story of Hedy Lamar. Oh, my goodness. You're right. Our stories don't match. <laughs> I was panicked. literally panicked like i was going to hang up and being like we're gonna record next week and we're just this episode we're just skipping a week (laughs) dude you know what'd be hilarious is if at one point we do end up on the same and then that episode just gets lost and it goes from like episode 30 to 32 (laughs) and like 31 is never accounted for yeah just like everyone goes wait wait, what are they Oh, they labeled it wrong. No, 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 they didn't. No, they didn't. Uh, (laughs) Teresa trash canned that one. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) We'll only reference it in passing comments and uh, hush tones. Similar to how one would reference Voldemort's return. Yeah. Or Hedy Lamar's ex. Or Hitler. No, we're, we're very outright in our disdain for Hitler. That's true. Yeah. If you are not outright in your disdain for Hitler, you can delete us. Unfriend us. Block us. us. Unsubscribe. Zero stars do not want. Tell your friends. Honestly, we have very few heels that we will die on. This is one of them. True story. <laughs> Please and thank you. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, I'm. our stories absolutely don't match. Um, thank God. Yeah. I don't even know where to start with mine at this moment, though, because our stories don't match. And you were just like, I'm going to railroad her. This is going to be the time I watch her head blow. She's had a rough day and I'm about to push her over the edge and I'm looking forward to it, which is why I made her go first. It's going to be freaking amazing. Because I'm going to be like, well, now that you've told the story of Hedy Lamar, I'm actually going to pronounce the, the names right. <laughs> because I Googled it first. I googled it first. Do you know that, okay, every single story I tell that has words that I may or may not know how to pronounce, I actually go and find the correct pronunciation and then write it phonetically in my notes next to how it's actually (laughs) supposed to be spelled? I I did know that because you shared your notes on Julie Dobney once and I went, that's right. Dobney is spelled... Oh, that's how you say it. Yep. Julie. Yeah. Yeah. Because listen, when you look at how it's spelled, you're like, yeah, no, that's not how you say that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. there you I'm with you. Julie Dobney. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Like any word in Welsh, come up with a way to pronounce it. You're wrong. 
sound it, it out no you're right wrong way. you're wrong yeah and every word in welsh is at least 37 letters long right and all and, consonants yeah <laughs> with like maybe a vowel they like. make the word reykjavak look like child's play they really they do and that is a hard one when you're looking at it to be like yeah you're i can like, say that hmm. i can't actually say that out loud. no i am going to keep my mouth shut on this one because it's really pronounced marvin it's like really <laughs> huh it's it's a deshawn but it's spelled with a t yeah yeah but yeah mm-hmm. and you're like i um no i wouldn't have guessed that nope did, did not, did not no no nope. ah, weird it's like when you read a book like if you're a book reader and then you listen to the audiobook and you're like and no, you're like, that's no the they're name. wrong they're wrong <laughs> like that happened to me during the line the witch in the wardrobe i was reading it out loud to my mom and she goes it's ashland or aslan like i i, yeah, I, I said it the way I, I i wanted to say it i was like no you're wrong you're wrong. <laughs> like I get that you're using common phonetics and that me at the ripe old age of a fifth grader should damn well know better, but no, you're wrong. That is how it's, it is in my brain. That is how we are going from here on out. It's the Lion King. That's his name. I know that's how you spell it. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, no, but that's not how English is pronounced. This is an English word. Like it's, it's an English book. We're just going to go with Aslan. And I was like, no, in my <laughs> brain, it's Ashland because that's how I have processed this. Oh, the amount of times that has happened to me, the amount of times, or worse, hearing it and then reading it. It's like, oh, oh, that's, mm, huh. that's not listen, right either. Listen, brain, <laughs> we're going to need to come to terms with this. Things have changed. Right. We need to work this out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to need a pencil oh, and some paper. And all of a sudden it's that meme of the woman doing math. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And there's, there's alphabets in your math book and things are, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's not even Greek. You don't know what planet it's from, oh, but God. definitely not one we're familiar with. All right. Um, right. I'm going to tell you, I've decided this is where I'm going to start. I'm going to tell you um, one of my sources first. I thought you might Not all of them? No, I'm just, you're going to get one to begin with. And then I'll wow. give you the rest of the year. Uh, beggars can't be choosers, I suppose. <laughs> it is the National Geographic. The article is called A Brief History of How Plastic Straws Took Over the World. Okay. So I'm talking to you about straws today. None of this. This is this is word <laughs> word salad. Like I'm gonna need you to smile. I need to make sure that you're it's symmetrical, that you're not having a full on stroke. I am not having a stroke. I will blink three times. You did start this recording without well, before we were recording by saying you were smelling an electrical fire. Are you sure it's not burnt toast? It wasn't burnt toast. I am actually thinking about that a lot. And you know what's funny is I always think of popcorn. Like if I'm smelling popcorn, I'm having a stroke. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently that's not like a, a a very good indicator of stroke not in my just for family. those listening at home don't not diagnose yourself of a stroke or seek medical attention on the basis of not smelling popcorn probably call your doctor <laughs> you know don't don't listen to us for medical advice at all at we are ever. not the ones we are we'll set it for you we're this not this is not the day fix it we are not the ones not our circus no not zero our monkeys set. involved none whatsoever 
uh, you need a great potato salad recipe, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's it. Do you want me to tell you if it's a great pot- potato salad <laughs> recipe? I'm here for you. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm not kidding when I tell you that it, the article is called A Brief History of How Plastic Straws Took Over the World. Okay? Just walk with me for a second. You're burying the lead on this. I can feel it. I I, I am. Just you're going you're gonna to love it. Um, straws have been used for like a super long time, like a really long time. Would you like to care to guess how long straws have been in use? No, only because I recognized how old nintendo is as a company and it's older than you think you're right uh straws have been around at least since we have like proof that they were in existence in ancient sumeria which is mesopotamia right modern day iraq and syria at least five thousand years ago yeah i would i would not have guessed that long i mean but you know honestly it's like you take a water reed you put it in your beer Right. And that's that was the idea. Um, my understanding is it was to go through the fermented items and get to the actual liquid you want to drink without getting the yuck in your mouth. So um, in Sumeria, like in Sumeria, okay. I'm not talking about right now. Right. So I'm 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 just showing you by reading comprehension abilities or listening comprehension. Obviously, listen comprehension. You know, honestly, it's that bad at this point. Um <laughs> But okay, so you put a bunch of your jungle hooch in a pot, it starts to ferment, you want to push past your fruit, rotting fruit pieces to the <laughs> alcohol part without getting the chunkies. Yeah, yeah, you're, there you go. Um, Egyptians had straws as well, and we see them pop up all over the world for at least the last 5,000 years for b- different beverages ranging from beer to tea. Some of the straws that we found in artwork or in like funeral goods have been highly decorated with jewels and could be gold or silver. I have a photo I'll show you later that um, is from the 18th dynasty during the reign of Akhenaten and it is a relief of him drinking his Egyptian version of beer with a straw. That's pretty interesting. Well, it actually might not be Akhenaten himself, but it's from his reign. However, (laughs) it is said that the straw that we know and love today was first invented here in the U.S. in the 1880s. Okay, so... We've skipped a few thousand years. (laughs) What happened in the interim? (laughs) They stayed the same. Um, they were like reeds, like, uh, you, like you could find like a grass reed, like a rye reed and then the bottom of it's hollow. So you just clip the tops and the bottoms and then you have like a, a plastic, not a plastic, a organic it straw. Suddenly changes on, we have a whole like container of bamboo straws. Did you see them when you were here? Did we have, I don't think I saw them. Okay. Yeah. We bought like a ton of bamboo straws. And they're That's just awesome. lengths of bamboo that obviously are hollow because so is bamboo. Yeah, same thing. Okay. Exact same idea. Um, so the story goes like this. A man called Marvin Stone is trying on one very sweltering summer day to enjoy his mint julep, which is a, a classic beverage of the South in the, Amer- in, in the American culture. Um, however, That's not alcoholic, is it? It's a like a mojito. Um, mojito can be alcoholic too. 
Well, I but I I've only had alcoholic mojitos. Yeah. So a jewel, a mint julep is um, water, sugar, bourbon, and mint leaves. Oh, I'm down for that. Right. Um, and we'll be I. right back <laughs> after these messages. <laughs> honestly, honestly, I could do a julep right now. now. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that because of this, I actually went and bought the mint to make a julep. <laughs> I had mint growing. Time. I had to put it in a pot so it didn't take over everything. Which is why I had to go buy the mint because I accidentally planted it in the front yard and it took over the entire front yard. So now we have to we find to move. new. We had to, yeah, we had to get rid of it and plant new ones. And we haven't done that yet because of other reasons. But anyway, mostly time. Um... So anyway, he's trying to enjoy his mint julep, and he is drinking it with a piece of ryegrass. And my understanding is the ryegrass, after a time, will start to disintegrate in your beverage. And he wasn't real pleased with that, because, you know, it's not making his julep taste all that delicious. Um, so... Because yeah, rye has a flavor unto itself. Right. So being the super dope inventor that Marvin Stone was, he decided that he could do something about it. He, quote, wrapped strips of paper around a pencil, glued them together, and soon he had an early prototype of paper drinking straws. He patented his design in 1888, and by 1890, his factory, Stone Industry, Industrial, excuse me, Stone Industrial, which today is part of Precision Products Groups, was mass-producing them. Wait, wait, so he decided he didn't like the the wheatgrass flavor of the of the of the rye mm-hmm. and then decided he's going to take a bunch of glue and do paper and basically make it a protein yeah push. uh kind of but with the hope that the straw's not going to disintegrate in the beverage but like i mean it, it will kind of like i mean it gets gushy even modern paper straws get kind of gush. You cannot tell me well, that the so eventually, 100s version was better. No, it wasn't. Eventually, they would um, put like a, the plastic coating that we have right. today on it. But this is the first version of that straw. So it's a hint of Elmer's glue in your mint julep. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, in the 1930s, bendy straws were born. That early? Yeah. Oh, bendy uh, straws. Bendy straws were born, and hospitals across America loved them. They were a great way to help their patients get their beverages, their water intake, if you will. All of this because he didn't like the taste of rye getting all up in his julep, which is made with bourbon, which is why I'm really here. I'm going to give you a brief history of bourbon because it's bourbon heritage i mean this is this is really what got you they're like how can i talk about bourbon for an hour hold up hold hold my julep actually what got me to the straw was telling my beloved husband how much i am so looking forward to telling you the history of bourbon because bourbon is my favorite adult beverage is this where the story is really going yes so what are the rest of your sources or do i have to wait nope i'm here to give you the rest of my sources right now (laughs) so I have several, but my two main ones are whiskey.com, the history of bourbon, um, bottleneckmanagement.com, a timeline of whiskey, uh, whiskeyadvocate.com, a timeline of bourbon, 
and several other like the spruce eats um new rift distilling company who defines bourbon whiskey there's a handful more but they i just i added them as sources because they answered a question i had that was like an aside you know like wasn't actually part of the story but like what does this mean so i included them in case you ever need to learn how to make bourbon if I ever have to make bourbon, I have additional questions. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but that, I've got the places to start. So let me scroll back down. And just to just to inform you that I thought I would partake today, I poured the rest of my Knob Creek straight bourbon into this Yeti cup and doused some Pepsi over top of it. I did not have enough time to make a mint julep in honor of my new friend, Marvin Stone. I'm grateful oh. you're taking a long, hard drag on that because I would finished my glass of whiskey <gasps> and I'd refilled well, it and then I finished it again. And then I said, let's hit record. I thought about um, just throwing a couple back before we started, but then it occurred to me I'm going to have to read <laughs> And I learned a whole lot of things the other night while discussing bourbon and straws with my husband about how I had never had whiskey or bourbon through a straw. I don't think I, I have, have now either. It's a whole different experience, like a whole different experience. Explain. Well, I was making dinner and I said to him, like I was, I was telling him, you know, how excited I am about this and like a couple of fun facts about like the early history of whiskey in Europe and he went over to the cabinet and he pulled down my favorite bird dog peach bourbon, put it in a demi-toss and handed me a very long straw and said, because he was reading about the straws, what's different? I, being the top-notch genius that I am, inhaled it so fast because it was in a straw. The first he said, thing I can't happens, feel my lips. <laughs> right after that. The first thing that happened was all I could taste was the delicious sweet peach flavor of the bourbon itself. Okay. And then all at once, the entire shot hit the back of my throat and burned every inch. <laughs> and I panicked. You but panicked? then thought, because I've I've never experienced that before. Like you just deep throated whiskey. Pretty much, yeah. Or bourbon, yeah. Yeah. And it was quite an event. And he laughed and he laughed and he laughed as I, for the first time in my life, had to chase a bourbon. Like, dr- I'm bourbon? everything I can find. Pepsi, milk, whatever I can find. And then I sit down. Oh, Pepsi and then milk? I don't. Milk Why is that bothering me? Why is that it my It might not have been involved. I'm just telling you this because it was whatever was on the counter that I could drink. Okay. Could have been cooking oil. You don't know. <laughs> You're, you're right because within five minutes oh no you could feel it within 10 minutes i had to sit down and he had to finish dinner his exact words were to me were you're a mess go sit down <laughs> i'm gonna then, be right back i gotta go get another glass of whiskey and a straw yeah you do i mean it's a whole new experience bring some okay. thing to chase it with though because it did that burn really gets you at least for me it did i didn't expect it and this is coming from Were you drinking it straight uses... were you oh, drinking yeah. it with water nope just straight okay but like this through the straw 
all in one basically go. took a bong hit of bourbon yes because the straw was 12 inches long <laughs> so i thought if i don't get it all in one go i'm not gonna get it all ever because this straw is so long <laughs> so now i'm curious as to where the f we're going with this i'm here to tell you the history of bourbon Oh, that's right. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Apparently the whiskey's kicked in for me already, even though I didn't have my bong hit. Well, I didn't either. Today's beverage of choice is Pepsi and Knob Creek. Okay. But don't think I won't be spending the entire month of September's podcasts with some type of mixed drink. Are you doing a theme and didn't tell me? At least in drinks. Okay. Don't judge. Zero judgment, <laughs> just jealousy. Because I thought it, of it first. The judgment is on myself. How very dare I not set myself up for success? Or no, whatever. you. I positioned myself poorly. This is nothing to do. Like, <laughs> well, we can reconvene next week, and uh, I can tell you a different story. Look, I'm in julep in my hand. I just want to say that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I got a story, I got a secret to tell you about about beer. It's, and it's, it's, okay. it's gonna fall asleep. Come, come. hold on, alien closer. Come here. I got a story aliens. to tell you. It's aliens. Hey, that's pretty. Where'd you get that earring? I like that. I was just gonna say you're so pretty. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> We're both the drunk you. girl in the bathroom. What were we talking about? I'm going to take your hat now. <laughs> this is mine. Did you push record? Just checking. We'll, we're going to talk tomorrow, but I just want you to know that I love you. <laughs> yes. Uh, so okay, that's how I carry on from the rest of my month because it's September and September is all about bourbon. So the skill of distilling or the art of distillation if I'm pronouncing that right, showed up first in Mesopotamia like the straw. The ancient world distilled not just for drinks, but perfumes as well. Perfume through a straw? No, but like the um, the, the art of distilling oh, okay. was used for you know not it. only beverages, but... Now I'm, I'm with you. I'm with gotcha. you. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. By 100, the Greeks are distilling seawater into drinking water. Distillation. Okay. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yep. Sometime between 50 and 1000 AD, the process makes its way to Western Europe by way of the Moors, at which point medieval Christians do the, one of the things they are so very good at, Beer. and they take this idea, and they begin using it to produce ingredients for various ceremonies. Uh, they also thought the art useful in the help of medicinal purposes to cure things such as colic, palsy, and smallpox. Okay. And beer. <laughs> Um, by 11, excuse me, by 1000, between somewhere between 1000 and 1200 AD, the process lands its way in Ireland and Scotland by way of traveling monks. Okay. And they set out to do what Ireland and Scotland are known for, which is beer <laughs> and whiskey, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. However, they have neither the grapes nor the vineyards for winemaking, but the monks at this point are probably skilled beer makers, so there's a place to start. The locals and the traveling monks get real creative at this point, and they start using grain marsh, and then after fermenting it, they distill it, and the first whiskey, excuse me, after they ferment it, they distill it, and the first whiskey is born. Wow. 
by 1200 by the 1200s the process of distilling wine shows up in italy and if i'm not mistaken the process of distilling wine is what ultimately makes brandy but i'm not real familiar with brandy so like i'm kind of on the fence about that but something i read makes me believe that you might be right because i know when gramps worked for the gallows he had like the gallo wine company not Mm -hmm. like the gallows humor um (laughs) <laughs> but like i know he he would he would bring home like a case of of like wines and things like that but he also had like gallo branded brandy yeah i think i think what makes brandy brandy is that the wine which is fermented and not distilled gets distilled and turned into brandy if i understand the process um in 1492, we can tell whiskey is well established in Ireland and Scotland. One source tells a story of a clan chief dying after, quote, and I'm going to jack this up, taking a surfeit, which is an excessive amount of aquavita at Christmas. Aquavita, water of life. Mm-hmm. This is written in the Irish Annals of Clon McNoise. So he imbibed so much water of life, he was deprived of said life. In fact, he okay. unsubscribed himself. <laughs> um, it is established that the word whiskey comes from the Gaelic Eshkibaha, which is a shortened version meaning a shortened version of Ushkibetha, meaning water of life, also known as aquavita. Um Whiskey was originally used as a medicine, both as an internal anesthetic and as an external antibiotic. I thought this was really interesting. The manufacturing at this time of distilled spirits was limited to apothecaries and monasteries until the late 15th century. Which so, I think is hilarious. Honestly, that is up there with modern day weed smokers going, it's medicinal. <laughs> Yes, mm-hmm. you are not wrong. Um, and that'll come back later. Okay, I'm here <laughs> for the segues. Sorry. Um, we see that in 1494, King James IV of Scotland is granting large amounts of malt to a one Friar John Corr by order of the king to make the aquavita. When my boy Henry VIII has his little hissy fit and breaks up with the Catholic Church and changes the face of the earth, starting somewhere around 1536, he dissolves the monasteries. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. And it leaves the monks looking for ways to de- to support themselves. Um, the stealing was the answer. And I just got to say, how bad does it have to be when the church is turning to making booze to survive? <laughs> you know, the Henry church... everyone an apology. <laughs> the church and booze have a long history. I mean, during the they Dark sure Ages... Do water was undrinkable so you would go to church to get beer so you could right. stay alive right and champagne and honestly right? i would probably go to church more if i got a pint on the way in <laughs> explains ireland so much right <laughs> we you love you think ireland. of the tithing yes i'm here for it if you walked into church and they gave you a pint everybody man woman child and then they pass the plates around. Gets a Guinness. Yeah. You would put more in the collection. Like churches. Look, I'm I know we're all struggling. I've got an idea. <laughs> we're here to help. Think of the return that you uh, you'll get on this investment. 
there are a lot of connoisseurs you know right yeah um so yeah monks are looking for ways to import themselves but at this point enter stage left america which is a thing right um european colonists start arriving to the new world and bring their old ideas with them as early as the 15th century and here is where bourbon was born but has yet to earn the name that would not come that would not come until the american revolution However, now seems like a great place to tell you a couple theories about the name. There are some disagreements as to why it's called Bourbon, but the two front runners are the area of Kentucky that it was made, right? Bourbon County, Kentucky. Or the South's ties to the French. Either way, both the options bones. work. Right. Both options work because Bourbon, Kentucky was named after the Bobones. So either way, the story checks. Um But remember how I said, oh, I didn't actually say this to you yet, but did you know that um, all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon? I did. Could I okay. have told you that? No. But when you <laughs> said, I'm like, yes, I remember that. Do you know why? Because, um, no. Okay, well, I'm going to give you the rules. For it. To be considered bourbon, the mass, mash, which is the mixture of grains from which it is distilled, must contain at least 51% corn. So the it, mash, go ahead. Bourbon is basically me getting my vegetables. Yeah, you're getting a salad. I'm here for it. Yeah. I need to go get another cup of salad. <laughs> Putting my salad in a mason jar. Um... <laughs> The mash must also be distilled at no higher than 160 proof and put in the barrel for aging at no higher than 120 proof. No additives can be mixed into the mash. To be bourbon, it must be aged in new charred oak barrels. Most distilleries prefer white oak because it helps the whole waterproofing process. To be considered straight bourbon, it must be aged for a minimum of two years. If it is less than four years, the label must say so. And there's a delightful law. Quote, as defined in the United States law, straight bourbon whiskey is whiskey that is distilled in any of the 50 states from at least 51% fermented corn to no more than 160 proof alcohol by volume and aged in new charred oak barrels for a minimum of two years. The proof going into the barrel cannot exceed 125, and it must be bottled at no less than 80. This definition is established for American whiskey production as per the U.S. federal standards of identity for distilled spirits. You bring up a good point that harkens back to a previous episode that you may not recognize. The Great Whiskey Fire of 1875. (laughs) The reason why it offed 13 people probably more is because the proof of the alcohol declines as it ages. And so a lot of these people who died were drinking immature spirits, which they weren't accustomed to because it's basically rubbing alcohol at that point. Mm-hmm. And it really just trashes your insides. Uh, So I left out the great whiskey fire because that is a story that you already told. Right. <laughs> but I'm glad you brought it back because I was really hoping it was going to be included. 
because this is what we're here for. I just want you to know I'm listening and I remember the stories <laughs> that I told, at least. I think you do a great job of remembering the stories that I told because sometimes you say stuff that I'm like, I said that. Oh, That's I awesome. said that? I sound so <laughs> smart. I love that story. I should probably read it again. <laughs> right. Like, what episode was that? I want to hear how amazing I am. Check. Oh, my God. <laughs> check my sources. Uh, and the most important part of it being bourbon is that it must be American-made. So this is like champagne can only come from the region of France. If it doesn't come from there, it's just sparkling wine. Yes. Bourbon is only American made. Um, what is it are... if it's made anywhere else? So, for example, um, Scot- if it's made in Scotland, it's scotch. Okay. If it's made in Ireland, it's whiskey. Um, if Jap- Japan also has a whiskey, it's just Japanese whiskey and they're yeah. sake. Yeah. Um, Saki is very different. Saki is made with rice. Right. But it's like the same idea as my understanding. I could be very wrong. I don't know anything about Saki. I just know that it was mentioned a lot in my research. Um, There are also laws that cater to the quality of bourbon as well. Um, According to the Bourbon Obsessed website, here's the law in 1897 called Bottled and Bond Act, which by the way, was sorely needed at this time, the law helped both the buyer, as in like you and me, and the distiller. Because at this point in time, um, makers are not putting, they're not cutting the right ingredients in. They are mixing more water in or for to get the right color instead of aging it right, mm. they are throwing in like spit tobacco. Like they're they're not oh, doing right. it right so that is yeah. that sounds absolutely <laughs> yeah um so the the bottled bond act of 1897 was essentially the first consumer protection act and act and it ensures the purity and the identity of the spirit that was being purchased one it must be produced by one distillery at by one distiller in one distilling season so like you can't do it over multiple years like you are putting it in you're starting it and you're putting it in the barrel in the same year Right. Like, um, it no must combining. be right. It must be aged in wood and in contact with the wood, except for vodka, for at least four years in a federally bonded warehouse, bottled at a hundred proof and free of additives except water. So, like, the purity standard goes up exponentially at this point. Um, I think it's fun to say that by this, by 1964 which is a little further ahead, but fun to say, uh, 95% of the bourbon produced in the U.S. is produced in Kentucky. (laughs) This checks. Right? Okay, so back on the other side of the pond, though, whiskey is still doing its thing. It's 1608. The old Bushmills distillery is licensed in Northern Ireland. Today, it holds the title of the oldest licensed whiskey distillery in the world. So I thought that was pretty cool. But remember, it's whiskey, not bourbon. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Between 1707 and 1725, the Acts of Union, which created Great Britain out of the kingdoms of England and Scotland, saw in the following years taxes rise dramatically. With the English malt tax of 1725 threatening the production of whiskey, the majority of Scottish distilleries went to ground and began production at night, giving whiskey one of its most famous nicknames, Moonshine. Which I thought was a purely American thing, but it is not. It started in Scotland in the 1700s. I mean, the Scots are known for drinking, so I, I shouldn't be surprised. 
I said the same thing. <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't think, I thought of moonshine as clear. Yeah, well, um, it's called moonshine because it's made at night. Okay. <laughs> and also, it's, um, my, I don't know a ton about moonshine, like, very little. My understanding is moonshine's process is a little different to begin with. Like, you can mm. make it in a bathtub. So unclear on on what color moonshine is actually going to be but by the time of the american revolution americans could actually use whiskey as a form of currency i mean you could do it now too but it would take the right buyer right um in 1783 evan williams founded the first commercial distillery in louisville kentucky then in 1791, after the end of the revolution, came a need for the cash-strapped new country, so they imposed the first taxes on distilled beverages, full well knowing how this could go. Like, Washington himself had a distillery. I mean, but this is also, hey, these these people are bloodthirsty, and they don't like taxes, so let's put a tax on whiskey. The thing that could probably calm them down. Or make things a lot worse. One I mean... This this sounds like playing with fire. <laughs> Absolutely, it does. Um, for the large distilleries in the East, these taxes don't mean much, as the taxes were based on the capacity of the stills, not the qu- quantity produced. So six cents per gallon to the distilleries with large stills was like nothing con- to pay for them, compared to the nine cents per gallon for farmers with small stills. Also, yes? I, no, it's just me doing some simple math, but anyhow, carry on. Gotcha. Also, the large distilleries in the East didn't have to deal deal with the high costs of transport and production, unlike the fellows with the small farms, with the small farm stills. Not only the fact that their tax was nine cents per gallon, but also the location. They were cut off from the East by the Allegheny Mountains, creating big problems getting their grain and goods to market. For them, it was, quote, it was a much more economical solution to distill the grain and sell it as whiskey. The farmers in the West thought the new tax regime was unfair and refused to pay. Yeah, so, sounds about accurate. Doesn't it? Um, this leads us to 19, excuse me, 1794 and the Great Whiskey Rebellion. Because we have to have a great every now and then. <laughs> and we started this story with straws? We sure did. Okay, carry we on. We sure did. Carry on. Um, so since ni- 1791, now I'm jacking up the years, thanks. I do this to people for my next (laughs) trick. (laughs) Tensions had been rising and taxes weren't getting paid and the rebels took to humiliating their tax collectors. They preferred the old tar and feather method and nothing was done to appease the rebels. In July of 1794, violence was afoot when 400 rebels gathered in or near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and set fire to the regional tax commissioner's house. I mean, nothing says a statement <laughs> like setting fire to the tax commissioner's home. Right? Um, Washington's response to this was to call the citizen militias of Pennsylvania, Maryland, New Jersey, and Virginia, totaling 13,000 men under General Lee, who was the governor of Virginia at the time. Lee, Hamilton, and Washington, Hamilton, yep, all went west to meet the rebels. But by the time they got there in November, remember, this is in July when they burned that guy's house. When they arrive in November, the rebels were uh, gone. You mean they didn't stay well. at the scene? 
no for months for months yeah it's like they just set up shop right there um well, i'm i'm confused i thought that's what bad guys did typically yeah um they they want to wait around for their captors yeah so they disbanded but a total of 150 men were arrested and interrogated two of them were found guilty they were both later pardoned by washington himself whiskey has this whiskey.com has this to say about it quote the consist the consistent and impressive demonstration of federal power by sending troops almost as numerous as the army in the war of independence had had its effect nipped it in the bud the whiskey rebellion was over incidentally the whiskey tax was repealed by president thomas jefferson in 1802 nipped the rebellion before it really started um go washington i guess i I mean go jefferson for repelling the tax or repealing the tax but anyway back in scotland in 1820 a teetotaler called john walker begins teetotaler teetotaler i like teetotaler (laughs) i mean you do you whatever teetotaler called john walker begins producing his own whiskey and his becomes one of the most famous brands of scots scotch in the world johnny walker so there's that pretty decent the production of moonshine in the uk was ended in 1823 and the scottish distilleries were given an option to legalize their operations by paying a fee um this next process comes from bottleneck management they say quote the process that is sour mash was developed by dr james c crow in 1823 at what is now the Woodford Reserve Distillery in Kentucky. In the process, an amount of spent mash is added to a new mash, and the balance of acid and live yeast that is contained controls the growth of foreign bacteria, improving consistency between batches so that every bottle is as close to the previous as possible. This revolutionized the way in which bourbon is made and is also a current legal requirement when producing Tennessee whiskey. I thought that was important to add that there is also a new law <laughs> regarding it. I mean, not terribly new, but I mean, worth but specific to Tennessee too. Yeah. Um, during the First World War, most distilleries are actually s- shut off from distilling beverages and are used to make gunpowder instead of whiskey, so the U.S. supplies get low. That is a sad time. I know, right? Enter Prohibition, which ruined everything for everyone. Except Al Capone and the uh, moonshine runners. Right. All stocks were destroyed and the still shut down, except for a few who got to make alcohol for medicinal uses. This was only available for the prescriptions. For and you could you get had... a prescription for a bunch of really weird things, too. Uh, yeah. To list those things, you high blood pressure was one, pneumonia, digestive problems, or tuberculosis. Any one of those things could get you a prescription. Look, I've got consumption, so I need to consume. <laughs> yeah, that's, maybe that's why it's called consumption. I don't think um, so. Neither do I, but it'd be funny. But don't think that that didn't stop our friends in the North, the Canadians, and in the East. And I love this sentence. Quote, it was mainly the Dutch who took care of the illegal imports. <laughs> God bless the Dutch. Right? Uh, from the From our European neighbors. And in the far south, from smuggling the goods. So we have Canadians, we have um, the Caribbean, and we have Europe smuggling stuff across the border for us. 
The large borders of continental United States made this an absolute treasure trove for smugglers. They made bank. And in 1933, prohibition was repealed. Because it didn't work. (laughs) No, it didn't. And I'm sure that they figured out you could tax the alcohol again and make more money. Now, I thought this was also really interesting. Um, In the Second World War, American GIs would use half-gallon bottles of bourbon to supplement their pay by selling it to the German population of the towns they were in. Wow. Yeah, I think that was pretty cool. Um, And that brings us to where we are today with over 100, excuse me, with over 809 distilleries here in the U.S. specifically for bourbon. My favorite adult beverage. So I will, because, you know, scotch is indicative of the country it comes from. Um, when my grandfather was coming back from England, he was at, he told me the story where he was at the airport and he was going through, you know, security or customs and he had this bottle of scotch mm-hmm. and the guy says, you can't bring that through. My grandfather looks <laughs> at me, goes, do you like scotch? The guy goes, yeah, yeah I love, I love scotch. Scotch is great. My grandfather goes, oh, good. And because my grandfather is one of those, like, well, if I can't have it, you can't have it. He takes the lid off, holds it upside down and drains the entire bottle in the middle, in between the two of them. At the airport? At the airport. Like empties it on the ground in front of them. I am devastated that when I left your house, I didn't do that with my bottle of Pepsi. Wow. Uh, That is a hard stance (laughs) for a $1.68 bottle of Pepsi. I bought it at the airport, so it was like a $9 bottle of Pepsi. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. All right. I mean, I wouldn't have put it up there with bourbon, but I mean. I drank my bourbon with Pepsi tonight. You know, I love that for you. I really do. Some of us are loyal like that. (laughs) I mean, you are hardcore. It's something everybody says about you. It's on your LinkedIn profile. (laughs) I get it. I'm hard. Yeah. Yeah. Like mother you, of boys, drinker of bourbon. I, I, I get it. If that is not a shirt for me, I might actually cry. Oh, hold please. I, I got a magic marker. I'm going to make go. <laughs> I'm going to make you a t-shirt with a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> I actually want it to be a sticker to put right on my cup. Mm. Leave mother of boys, wanting. drinker of bourbon. My boss used to tell me when I would come back to work from lunch, if he would ask what was in my cup, what you got in there? What'd you go home and get? <laughs> Luminol. Uh, Pepsi, sir. Do you want to look at it? I'm gonna sniff it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, look, I get my personality is drunk, but. <laughs> so yeah, that that's the history of bourbon in a nutshell, a very, a very condensed time timeline version of the history of bourbon there's okay. a lot more fun stories to share but for the sake a of a high hour... proof version of whiskey or bourbon sorry my apologies unless it's unless you're drinking johnny walker or jameson in which case then it's just whiskey that's fair i also would like to add that we have a real we have a family that we're really good friends with that moved to kentucky mm-hmm. and shortly after he moved the husband took a picture of like they went on like a distillery tour yeah because there are 13 distilleries in his town that's a pub crawl 
Right. So the and you can you can bourbon sample like you do wine, right? Right. Um, so he bought a bottle from every distiller and he like took a picture and he was like, Hey, come have, you know, come have coffee and bourbon in our garage this weekend, blah blah blah, whatever. Um, I wanted to answer back with all my bottles of bourbon, and then I realized of at the time, I don't have as many now, but at the time of like the six that I had, four of them were from his town. Dang. <laughs> like, so long story short, Ian, we need to go to Kentucky because apparently there is a pub crawl I must attend. Right. Like, I don't, I'm not going to remember half of it, but the first it's half fine. is going to be great. It's going to be so much fun. The last half will be great for everybody watching. Especially my husband. Right? Yeah. He'll think it's fabulous. I have a, adored this. You're welcome. And at first I thought we were going to talk about like the straws and the noses of turtles. And I was going to be like, Angie, <laughs> this is, this is going a dark direction. Why are this we talking about, about straws? To go. No, yeah. I, I had to tell you about straws because because mint juleps and mint juleps because bourbon look everything's connected to everything it really is and you can thank my husband for this because i was just going to give you the history of bourbon but he was like straws babe but you gotta lead (laughs) in with straws like that's the only obvious intro because obviously you live to troll her um (laughs) you know you do this and then when i get you so incredibly good you're going to be upset about it for months. It's not so much upset as it is like I'm proud and mad at myself for getting got. You know, like I am proud to know you. You are a worthy adversary. You know, it's just I'm infrequent with it. And when I do, I just serve it up. And I'm like, there's no way she's not going to like everything about this says it's a hoax, a hoax of a hoax of a hoax. Yeah, but you did it on you. The one thing you knew I wanted to be real. I know. But again, not mad at you. Like, so utterly delighted that I was had. I love being had. Just like I love being wrong about a book or a movie. Like, Game of Thrones ruined me. I could tell you to the, like within the first five minutes of anything we watched how it was going to end exactly how it was going to end and be right every single time, and then Game of Thrones happened and I was only right about one thing and that was who Jon Snow's mother was. Everything else you knew nothing, Jon Snow. Pretty much, and I was like, "What is you didn't read feeling? the books?" Um, I read the first book after I re- watched the first season. Okay. And started the second book, but I'm going to be honest, I got like two thirds of the way through and was like, this is, I can't, I can't keep reading this because we, I got to a chapter that was from the perspective of Daenerys and Mm -hmm. she was like humming and hoeing about what boy liked her. And I was like, you are the mother of dragons, get it together. But she's not that yet. Like it shows her crew, like her her character arc right like you know yeah but i couldn't like i guess it wasn't even so like i get it you're only like 16 years old like of course your brain is going through this even if you are a warmonger on your path back to your throne like i totally get that but it was the words used to describe her inner monologue i'm like there's no way she's this dumb like even at that age even with what she's been through there is no way she's going to say these things to herself her previous point of view of her 
Fair. Okay. Okay. So I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do this at present. Um, doesn't mean I won't go back later. Like, I mean, three fistful of bourbon later, and it's a, suddenly a brilliant read. I will tell you that the episode, <laughs> I can't remember if it was the second to last season or the season, I think it was last season. What season is it where uh, Jamie is on the treasure train and the dragons come? Is that the last season? I, I'm an unreliable narrator in this capacity. It's been a too I long. Think, I think it was the last season, but like I knew that episode was coming and I literally had the bourbon out with me and I drank it the entire episode because I was not emotionally prepared to lose Jamie Lannister. I had already gone through Jon Snow. I wasn't going to lose another one. Not one of my boys. <laughs> I When Jon Snow died, I literally stared at the wall for 30 minutes. And then finally looked at Ian and said, someone owes me an apology. <laughs> and he was like, I can tell. <laughs> See, I wasn't prepared to go through that with Jamie. That's fair. Yeah. We we should wrap up because yeah, I, should. I should go eat something because... My, my booze on my tummy is, is is hitting a bit harder than I thought it would. <laughs> you should go eat and I should I go convince my husband he should probably collect our son. Oh, yeah. Um, These are all things. If you have enjoyed listening to us and you're thinking, gosh, what gosh, can I, I repay with them? these lovely women for the things that they gift us? You can. And you can do that by rating, reviewing, and subscribing to this podcast by forcing your mother's hairdresser's dog walker to listen as well we're here <laughs> for it we appreciate you and if there's like a way where you could be like they are so wrong it is also bourbon if it is brute let us know and you can do that at unhinged history pod at gmail.com sign up for your fights against angie i will schedule them and live stream them <laughs> and on that note goodbye bye-bye